0: Some weeks ago, I spoke about the orientation at Mass. Now, we're called to be oriented towards God. Towards, towards, uh, most churches were built towards the east, but our own church here is it's built um, towards the, the northwest. But nevertheless, because we have the real presence, the blessed sacrament, we're still able to orient our hearts towards God. So in other words, if you look at the way the pews are organized, the pews are organized and facing the direction of the tabernacle the direction of the altar. I mentioned that to the best of my ability that I'm going to orient myself to the Blessed Sacrament at Mass. The following week then I spoke about in my homily that how we approach God matters. That we, we approach God, of course and first and foremost with adoration. When we come into church the first thing that we will do most often is to dip our hands into the holy water font. And then, of course, before we go into our pews, we genuflect, we go down on our right knee, giving adoration, worship to God in the Blessed Sacrament, whom we say we believe every time we receive Holy Communion. Then the following week, last week I spoke about the penitential rite, how the first thing we do when we come to Mass, as we begin the Mass, of course we begin with the sign of the cross, the Holy Trinity, but then we we enter into the penitentiary, we call to mind our sins, the times we've done wrong, the times we said no to God. And we, we don't blame others, but we blame ourselves. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, we strike our breasts, blaming ourselves, not pointing fingers at someone else. Of course, then I spoke about the curiae eleison, the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, where we turn to God, we lay ourselves at his feet, and we we recognize that we don't deserve heaven and yet god desires to give us heaven he wants to have mercy upon us of the sins that we've committed you know we we're, we we're, we every every sin is you know separates us from god in some way when you think of the sins that we've committed none of us deserve heaven we say no to god week after week so week at the beginning of mass we call to minor sins we tell god we're sorry and then we throw ourselves at his mercy. This week I want to speak about the Gloria, the great song that immediately follows the penitential rite, as well as I'll speak about the Collect. There's two great songs in the Mass, traditionally speaking. The first song is the Gloria. The second song is the Creed. We, I, I don't think I've ever sung the Creed you know, in my lifetime, with the one exception, that is at a Latin High Mass. We always recite it, but if you look at the Missalette, we have the Breaking Bread hymnals. If you look there, I think it's on page 11 or 12, it speaks about the creed being recited or sung. Actually, the music is in the back with all the music of how to sing the creed. Those two songs, the first one, the first song is giving glory to God. The second one is what we, we say, what we give our heart to. I believe in one God. The first song begins with the song of the angels. Christmas Day. As Jesus is born there in Bethlehem, the angels then go out, these heavenly creatures, they go out to the shepherds, and they sing to them, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. At some point that was immediately incorporated into the Mass because at Mass, who comes to us? It's like a little Christmas at every Mass. Our God comes to us, and we sing this heavenly song, the prayer of the angels, the song of the angels. And then, as we go into the mass, there's you know these poetic, you know phrases. Uh, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Where I-, I love the new translation since 2011. The previous translation did a very loose translation. They tried to incorporate them into one simple sentence. But I love how there's this repetitious. We do this to you. We bless you, referring to God. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. How we lift up, well, it's really we allow God to lift up our hearts. And in allowing Him to lift up our hearts, this is what we do we sing God's praises. If you notice the first part of the Gloria, it's referring to the Father then it refers to the Son, and then the closing line speaks about the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The, the, the Mass is full of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. We began Mass with the sign of the cross, the words of our baptism into the Trinity. So, so when we come to, to giving glory to God, there's these titles that we use. Almighty Father, Heavenly King. Heavenly King. I don't think we understand a kingdom. I mean, we hear about it in fairy tales, we hear about, you know, in stories, but we here in the United States we don't understand a kingdom because we live in a republic and a democracy, you know, combined. But in a kingdom, there's a king or there's a queen. And the, the king is the one who, who calls the shots. He's the one, you know, when he, when he implements something, it happens. So he says, okay, on Friday, this is going to take place all across the kingdom. It, you know, he speaks the word and it happens. God's not God's not a president like we have in the United States here. We don't elect God to be, you know, the president of our lives. And, you know, and then after four years, you know, then we put someone else and, you know. Although I guess we kind of do that, you know, throughout our week. You know, we come to Mass and we say, God, I want you to, to be the one who presides over my life. And then Monday comes and then, you know, it's television or it's, you know, we don't have the official vote, but I guess it happens. But in a kingdom, which is what which is what God's kingdom is, we, we say it in the Our Father, thy kingdom come. We want God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. Which means that He's the King. And when He says something, it takes place. God doesn't change His mind here and there. No, He doesn't do that. But He's this This awesome king, he's not a tyrant, he's not a dictator, which is why we have the phrase to remind us in the Gloria, Heavenly Father. He's so much greater than any of our earthly fathers. But even our earthly fathers, what are they there for? They're there to provide, to take care of us, to give us a house to live in, to provide for our needs, our basic needs, to put food on the table, to protect us, you know, that no one kidnaps us or whatever that God is a good father. He's a heavenly father. Which means he's beyond anything that's here. He's heavenly. We can't put God in our pocket. We can't control God. When you think about you know, when you were four or five years old, you know, you maybe tried to control your dad, but never happened. It just it just couldn't happen. Dad was much bigger. And then when we get to, you know, 15, 16, those teenage years, you know, we really try to push our dad a little more. We push him more and we push him more. And, you know, maybe at some point, hopefully that's not the case, but at some point, you know, we overthrow dad from, you know, his fathership. You know, it, it happens in some families, but that's not the case with God. God is always our father, whether we're five or 25 or 75. He's our dad. He's the one who provides for us. He gives us the air to breathe. He's the one who gives us our health. He's this providential God, Heavenly Father. And then we switch gears. We we switch it to the Son and we have these phrases, you know, towards Jesus, only begotten Son. Well that that phrase we hear another time in the Masses, in the other great song, the, the Creed. You know, only begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Consubstantial, of the same substance, meaning that that Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. He's God. He's not a different God than the Father. He, he's a different person, of course, but he's the same God, always existing, always have been. We say that in the glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be. This glory to God, that the Son is equal to the Father because he's God too. Then there's this phrase that we hear in, and of course it immediately calls to mind other parts of the Mass, particularly the, the part of Holy Communion. We hear this phrase, Lamb of God. Lamb of God. It's one of the titles for Jesus. After the Our Father, there's, you know, one of the minor songs, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. It's, again, calling back to, you know, the Kyrie eleison, have mercy on us. And then when the priest holds up the most sacred hosts, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. We, we try to overcome our sins. You know, we, we go back to our sins. We go back to our sins. You know, we have some affection towards them. And then when we, we're in them, we're stuck in them. And we like, I don't like this. And say, I'm going to get out of this stuff, you know. But we try to get out of it by ourselves, which is just another sin. You know, our own pride. We try to, to get ourselves into heaven. We try to work our way into heaven. But we say, Lamb of God, he's the one who brings us into heaven. You take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. The Lamb of God. In the Book of Revelation, there's there's this final image, or there's a number of images in the Book of Revelation, but there's this image of the Lamb. The Lamb who appeared as he had been like he had been slain. What is the Lamb? He's the one in front of our altar here. It's Jesus Christ, from whom the seven sacraments come, the seven rivers of life. In the book of Revelation, there's this battle between Jesus and and the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. And then at some point, there's this verse. It says, and then God threw him into the bottomless pit. It's in the last part of the book of Revelation. Your time's up, you damn serpent. And he's thrown into the bottomless pit. The Lamb of God wins. Which is why, immediately following the penitential rite, we sing the glory to God Because he's the one who receives the glory. He's the winner. He's the one who conquers sin and death. He's the one who conquers the sin in our life which prevents us from receiving the love of God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people people of good will. We can't receive God's love. We can't receive God's peace unless we give him the glory first and foremost. There are two things in our lives, or in our culture, I should say. There are two things that we specifically give the glory to. I'm not speaking individually, I'm speaking as a culture. We give glory to these two things more than we give glory to God. The first one is sports. Think of today. There are many people today who are not at Mass giving glory to God, but they're at the game or watching the game giving glory to the game. Cheering! Now, I'm not saying sports are bad. They're not. They're very good. They really help us as a culture. They really help children, you know, um, keep out of trouble. They, they really give character to, to, and they help a person grow. Sports are very good. But when this good thing becomes more important than the good one, the Most High God, something's wrong. Something's disordered. But we do that as a culture. Even Sunday morning, which used to be, you know, of all denominations, you know, uh, with Catholics, that Sunday morning was for God, for family, even the whole day was. Then sports trickled in and came in in the afternoon. It pretty soon now there's practice in the morning. And my experience in Williston and elsewhere, people go to practice for the sports rather than coming to Mass. I would hear parents tell me this. You know, I can't come to Mass on Sunday because there's this some um, practice. If any, if any of you have any say in, in, you know, sports being on, particularly Sunday mornings, to, to really very gently, respectfully, but forcefully push back. I know some parents that say to the coach, my kids aren't showing up Sunday morning. He may be a good player, but he's not showing up Sunday morning. We're going, we're going to Mass. I, th- I think that's great. Archbishop Alan Vigneron who's going to be the main speaker this coming Sunday at the first conference, he's of the Archdiocese of Detroit, Michigan. Just, just a number of months ago, he told all of the Catholic schools in the Archdiocese that none of them can have sports on Sundays anymore, which I think is great. He, of course, had some pushback because we want to give glory to the sports more than we want to give glory to God. But it's, it's ordering one's diocese. It's ordering the Christian people. I'm not speaking here even just you know for catholics this is for lutherans baptists all you know congregationalists it used to be sunday was for god but now it's for the other president you know it's for the president of sports glory to god in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill peace only comes to us when we give glory to god first and foremost What's the second thing that we give glory to as a culture? It's, it's uh, movies, TV series, TV shows, things of that sort. Where we, we place a movie, we give the glory to the movie. We talk you know, about the movie with our, with our classmates, with our relatives, with our friends, with our coworkers. We talk about the movie and we give glory to the movies or the TV show more than we give glory to God. We're in cowboy country. We're in ranching country. I, I think in our, in the country here, one can give glory to to the rodeo. You know, the rodeo's taking place. And I'm being blunt here with all of you. The rodeo's taking place. I'm at the rodeo. Nothing wrong with the rodeo. Rodeos are actually quite pleasant. I like them. They're wonderful, but who do we give glory to? Is it God or some creature? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father. This beautiful song. So when we begin Mass, that's what we, that's what we immediately sing, we, we go into, because we want to orient ourselves for the Mass. We want to make God the focus. Immediately after the Gloria, and I'll just speak a few words here on, on this, this part, the, the Collect, our opening reading, I don't know if you caught it, there's this war going on. The war that's taking place is between the people of Israel, Moses being their leader, and then the Amalekites, Amalek being their leader. It sounds crazy in, in our culture today, but it's a really beautiful reading. So what's happening is there's this war, and when, when Moses holds up his hands, God's people win. When he puts his hands down, meaning not in prayer, the Amalekites win. That last phrase, how does it go? Let, let, me, let me find it here. It, it says, And Joshua, who was the leader of the army, it says, And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I love that phrase. It, and This is why I love it, more, more so in the Christian sense. When we come to Mass, there's this war going on in our thoughts, in our minds. We're, we're trying to, to keep our hearts focused on God, you know, on, on his side. And, and when, we're, when we do that, when we allow God's grace to come in, God mows down those sins in our lives. He mows them down by the edge of the sword. They're cast out from our hearts. But that can only happen if we bring our hearts to prayer. So immediately after the Gloria, there's the collect. The priest will say, let us pray. And then war is taking place. War is going on. And he holds his hands in the position that Moses had them. And he says this prayer. He gathers together all of the intentions of the Mass, all of your intentions, his own intentions. It's called a collect because they're collected. And he offers these prayers to God. And everybody responds, Amen. Because that's what we want to give our heart to. We want to give our heart to God. But many times, and I say myself included here, as a priest it becomes a little bit easier because we're required to have uh, an intention for Mass and it's usually you know, the Mass intention that we announce here in just a few minutes but we're called to have lots of intentions all of you are called to have intentions that we bring to Mass but many times we come to Mass myself included and we, and we don't have an intention you know, we show up at Mass we're physically here but our hearts are far away our hearts are giving glory to something else but we come with our intentions we come with our gratitude towards God We give him thanks, but we also beg him. So we began right before the scripture readings with this prayer, the collect, to collect all of our intentions. We bring them before God, and then we hear from sacred scripture, which then gives us direction where to go with these prayers, advice, wisdom, how to carry them out. So at this mass, as we finish here in just a moment, the liturgy of the word, let's Let's really bring our hearts to God and let's ask Him for the grace to to give Him glory first and foremost. To enjoy the creatures that He gives to us, to enjoy sports, to enjoy the rodeo, to enjoy television, you know, assuming that it's all appropriate. But to give God glory first. To give God glory first. Then when we die, we're going to be giving glory to Him, not ourselves, not our own ideas. But we're going to sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill.